This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another uh, podcast of Thacker Slate. <clears throat> this is an unusual uh, podcast that we're going to have today, but uh, it's vitally important for us to sometimes get our clients' stories out in, in the process of understanding what it's like to go through from their perspective. So this is the first podcast that we're going to have uh, where we're going to have an actual client here uh, with us. And so Jeff is here with us today and his uh, wife, Tracy, is here with us. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, his situation, uh, what he learned through the process, and give some advice and some tips to other people going through it, and then have Tracy offer her perspective of what it was like to go through the court process with him. Jeff came to me back in 2016 on an alleged parental alienation case, and I'm pretty suspect, and so is Allison, of the cases that we get involved in, and we make sure that we screen them as much as we possibly can. So when Jeff called me, he had already gone to trial, he already had a judgment, and it was a post-judgment issue of parenting time and getting access to his kids, which he had been estranged from for a very long time. And so I said, well, that's fine. We'll consider your case, but I need releases to all of the psychologists and all the therapists that you've been involved with so that I can call them and vet them to see if what you're telling me is correct. And lucky for us, I don't know if it's lucky for Jeff because he had to go through it all, but lucky for us in the relationship that Jeff and I have created with us here at the firm, uh, we contacted all those therapists and everything that he told me was absolutely true. So we took his case back in 2016 and filed a motion uh, for uh, parenting time and to reunify his kids with him. So I'm going to turn it over a little bit to Jeff and let him give you some insights of an overview of his case. Good morning. Uh, my case started back in 2010. Um, my wife at the time and I had uh, had some uh, difficulties, but uh, one night she took off with my kids and uh, didn't tell me where she was going and just left. And that started the whole process uh, going. Um, shortly after that, about a week later, she filed for divorce and... Um, and with that, had me kicked out of the house and also um, had some motions filed against me that uh, were based on allegations that were not true of child abuse and, and some other things that, um, based on this whole long story, she took it to the judge without me being able to defend myself initially. And this was um, Labor Day weekend of 2010. So right away I was uh, faced with the immediate um, urgency of trying to find an attorney and not really having good contacts and knowing who to get the recommendation from. Um, fortunately, I was able to, to find a, a recommendation, but even then not knowing um, if that was the best one or not. So um, that started this long, this long road that I've been on, and um, in a nutshell, if you can put into a nutshell the years that I've been involved in this case, um, I had to fight initially against the false claims, even to get my kids back. 
uh, or even any access to my kids. And because of the allegations that were made, uh, my attorney at the time had made recommendations that I, um, you know, try to go along with everything that, you know, basically my mantra was, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And eventually that was what, um, you know, I, I hoped would happen. And so I complied, um, at that time, I started um, involving a counselor that was recommended or was agreed to by both attorneys and well-respected in the Grand Rapids area. And so he could start trying to sort out some of the issues and get away from more that he said, she said, and have a neutral, non-biased third party involved. Uh, with that, um, it, it started becoming a little bit clear, at least even at that time early on, that there were many more deeper issues than just um, two parents that couldn't get along. And even though the the kids were um, kind of falling in step with the the claims that were being made, um, things weren't adding up. And so even initially, I agreed to have supervised visitation on Saturdays from 12 to 4. Um, from the very first time the supervisors were involved with my case, they would report back to this counselor and their manager every week. And the very first week um, afterwards, after the visit, after the supervised visitation time, the uh, we would have an appointment with the counselor. And so he would meet with me. He'd say, how'd things go? And I would give him the rundown of everything that happened uh, in my perspective. He would release me, and then the, he'd call the kids in, and he would ask them what happened, and they would give him a totally different story. Well, the good thing for me was that he already had the report from the supervisor, and he could see that every time this happened, week after week, my um, perspective, my version of the story matched up in exact detail um, with what the, what the supervisor was saying. And... Um, the kids were coming up with just a, a crazy version of things nowhere close to what the supervisor was seeing or reporting back and in total contrary um, perspective too. I mean, it was just totally opposite. So with that, I was already building this trust with the professionals that they knew they could trust me. I wasn't making things up. And, um, but the difficulty was how to get more to the bottom or how to address the issues that had been very long seated. Um, with that, so this started in um, September of 2010. My course, my case drug out to um, May of 2012 before the divorce was actually final. And you guys went through how many days of trial too? I believe there were 10 or 12 days of trial during that time. Um, Which is always hard to counteract these allegations of domestic violence and the allegations of uh, parental alienation. So that was sort of the issues uh, that were before the court, right, for the trial? Correct. So with that, um, I didn't have supervised visitation the whole time after it was very clear that I, in fact, the supervisor wrote in his report, it's clear that Jeff's not going to hurt his kids. He loves his kids. And um, they under the supervisors understood that they were more there for my protection to um, give me witness to the 
the court, to my attorneys, to the counselors as to what actually happened. And so over time, um, the court decided that supervision was no longer necessary. But even you know, then I'm paying $40 an hour for someone to babysit me with my kids, which I promised them from the very beginning um, that I would never hurt them. And um, but in the meantime, they were getting told by other parties that, um, you know, I was going to come back and kidnap them, that I was going to come back and kill the dog. And, you know, so there was just this brainwashing, brainwashed um, scenario where there was just this heightened sense of emotion and and just being very um, scared. And it was just um, very emotional to see my kids go through that. Yeah, sure. And it's like uh, the brainwashing that occurs, the kids ultimately start to believe the brainwasher, right? And so <clears throat> they somehow believe, even though it's not true, uh, that you're going to harm them or harm uh, their mother or harm their pets or whatever. And then they start to see you as the parent that they need to stay away from. And then the court system is difficult to be in because it's hard to prove that and turn that, right? And so that's sort of what we started to do in 2016 to get some other professionals involved. Uh, what do you think some of the warning signs were for you that you were going down this sort of brainwashing um, <clears throat> need to uh, rehabilitate the court and even what the court thought of you? So for quite a while, I knew our relationship was on the rocks and had been in trouble for a long time. Um, about a year before this happened, things actually started looking more positive, and I thought maybe we really had a chance to make it. And um, but within the last, uh, the previous four to six months before she took off with the kids, um, I would catch my boys saying, and at this time they're like seven and ten, um, and they would make comments like, "Well, it's not your house anyway," and. Um, well, when you're gone, we'll do what we want. We don't have to listen to you. And one night I was putting my boys to bed and they were in the bathroom uh, getting their showers or whatever. And I heard my oldest um, make some comment and then my younger son said, well, wh what will we do for money? And my oldest says, well, it's okay because dad's check goes in mom's account anyway. So we'll be all set there. So this is how ingrained this was where um, the you know it feels like it was set up for for years really even. And I was very careful up front. You know, when I think of the term brainwashing, I think of the Moonies and the cults and the, you know, Dave Crushes and stuff. But, you know, when I started looking into alienation more, it, it is a true brainwashing because the, the kids come to believe this and they can't trust their own understanding of right and wrong. Right. I know that my dad loves me deep down, but I'm not supposed to believe that because I'm being told that. And so what is right? What is wrong? And because of that, it, alienation truly is a form of, of insidious child abuse. And a lot of people have asked me over the years, oh, you know, why do you, why do you keep fighting? Why, why do you keep doing yeah, why this? Not walk and, away? Right. Um, it'd be a lot easier emotionally. And, um, and I would come back to the comment, you know, no child or no parent that loves their three kids like I do is ever going to leave them in a situation where it's active child abuse. Right. And if they can do anything about it. And so I, I really had to keep fighting this for as long as I possibly could. Getting back to 2012, the divorce was final. Um, 
I didn't really feel like there was a chance with a judge in the court system because I didn't have an attorney that um, I felt could do anything different or get me to where I needed to be. So while I wasn't necessarily prevented by the court from seeing my kids, there was no avenue for me to have access to them. And so it more or less defaulted to, well, they're with my ex. And, you know, if if she wanted to let me see them, she could, but she, of course she didn't want me to. So for five years, I didn't see my kids. Yeah, which creates <clears throat> even more of a time barrier for that conspiracy with the kids to be with that favored parent and continue to sabotage the uh, unfavored parent. So it makes that even more difficult to turn around. So for those five years, I was involved as much as I possibly could, but it was very minimal. I mean, I would go to my son's basketball games. I would go to football games where my daughter was cheering. I would go to parent-teacher conferences, and I would try to get updates from the school. But then, you know, what I found through this process is that whatever you're doing is going to be scrutinized and questioned. So if I show up at a basketball game, it's because I'm a control freak and I'm just trying to ruin their lives. If I talk to a teacher... Um, it's because I only want straight A's and I'm not accepting going to accept anything less than that. And, you know, cause Your I, standards are too high. I have unrealistic expectations yeah. and, it, you know, so I'm the, the horrible parent that wants to be involved with this kid's life and trying to help them whatever way I can. So, um, that was that was a struggle because in in my heart I had to do what I felt was right, um, knowing that I needed to keep good people around me that would keep me accountable to make sure that I was doing right. I mean, some people will say, "Well, you know, I think it's right," and it's very clear that it's you know cr- craziness, whatever. But um, so with that, like I said, I tried to stay involved as much as I could, but. Um, um, through um, another friend at church who had gone through a similar type situation with um, her husband at the time and um, uh, a counselor that they had seen. You know, I, I got the recommendation to come to Thacker Slight and um, not even knowing whether I had a, a chance or a shot. Fortunately, I think um, not only with my coming to your firm, but also with some of the changes in attitudes and approaches in the court system. And even, you know, I've seen some changes with the judge himself and how he approached this case. And, um, you know, really the, the, maybe not necessarily the law has evolved, but I think um, the approach to how to deal with these cases and not defaulting to the mother's story. You know, I, I was thinking earlier, yeah, we have this Me Too movement and women are supposed to be believed. And I I agree with a lot of that. But unfortunately, the default is always to believe the mother, no matter what they say. And so, and especially something as horrible as child abuse, you have to believe the mother, which, you know, works definitely in, in the man's, um, you know, doesn't help his case at all. And so, but then when the kids are, are supporting that, then, because a lot of people have said, okay, well, I could question the mother, but well, the kids are saying that. So, you know, because right, we the, always want to believe kids, the right? kids, yeah. kids should be believed or, or can be believed a lot of times, but not all the times. And so then I started running into those issues. But, you know, as, as we went through this process and got more and more professionals involved and my story checked out every time. And I went through extensive counseling and men's uh, programs at Fountain Hill and Grand Rapids here uh, from an individual counselor to 
the kids counselors to the reunification counselor. And we had actually asked for the reunification counselor to be involved in 2011 when this case first started. And the judge at that time was unwilling to, um, to allow someone else to more or less, you know, manage the process. He didn't want to let go of that. And so even the changes in the five years that I uh, didn't keep fighting, um, that approach had changed where he was more willing to uh, allow uh, someone to be involved and be able to make very strong recommendations with even uh, potential for legal consequences. So, um, when I think about, you know, now eight and a half years into this, you know, how things change and how things uh, lined up uh, the way they were supposed to, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I'll say this from my perspective, <clears throat> Jeff is one of those clients that uh, jumped through every single hoop that was imaginable and then did more. So when we had him on the witness stand, we could say all of the classes and the counseling and the groups and everything that he had done was so impressive <clears throat> that I think that those are the things that help the judge understand uh, what you are doing. And then consequently, when we got the mother on the stand, we would hear she hasn't done anything. And she really didn't think that the reunification process was warranted, nor did she really agree with their uh, uh, opinions to, to do it and how to get it done. So the process for the court system can be very long and very tedious, and we filed those motions in 2016, and we're just finishing up the trial here in 2019. Uh, we were able to restore significant parenting time uh, at the very beginning and now have our own case for custody in your favor uh, in the majority of the parenting time with you because the parental alienation and the sabotaging by mom, according to all the professionals, continues to happen. So I think having that team of professionals is really a good thing to do. And Allison and I have been able to put some of those teams together, but just to have, you know, the person who's the reunification counselor managing that and then the therapist for the kids. But the hard part is really what you did say is how do you how do you disbelieve the children, right? You know, because we always have a tendency to believe the kids. But in these cases, you have to be aware of the fact that they're so brainwashed that in their minds, they really do believe that you are that horrible person because of such the damage that occurs by the non-supportive parent. And Connie, I think you should comment a little on the, the orders that the judge has made in the case and the impact that those have had and also some of the testimony and the antics that mom uh, ultimately engaged in in the in the court system and actually in the courtroom. Yeah, I think getting the orders in place and following through on those orders of how the counseling was going to occur and who was going to pay for it and keeping on top of it and reaching out to those professionals regularly to get their opinions and then bringing them in to testify and having them really continue on this belief that mom was not doing anything uh, to help with the process, I think really swayed the judge in this case. And I think we saw a complete change in what he thought back when he tried the case to now of what he's done, even to the extent of, of jailing mom for a number of days for failing to follow his court rules and court orders. So I think that that's really um, important as well, too. Give us some idea, uh, Tracy, if you would, of the impact of you and your relationship and how... Um, I mean, I look at it and I 
from an outsider and just as the lawyer, I mean, I admire what Jeff has done and the fact that he's stayed in the process and hasn't walked away. Most clients would say to me, I'm just going to give up and walk away. And he just sticks with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, My relationship with Jeff started about the same time yours did. Um, And when you're looking at all these facts in this case and I have children of my own, and I believe my children, and the way I raise my children, they're truthful, and and you think, okay, so how can his his kids say that this is happening in the home, and is it really happening in the home? And then when you're with Jeff and with his kids, and you have uh, an exciting, you know, thing that you do as a family together, um, and they have fun, you can see they have fun, um, and then they repeat that story to the counselor when they play that movie reel back in their head and the fun that they had now turns into a nightmare and they totally change the facts around. And as a person looking at is, you know, that isn't reality. I know how it happened. I was there. And now you're repeating this story. So it just goes to the whole, uh, I was naive. I don't know anything about parent parent alienation in my world. Um, but it, as you interact with the family and you see this happening, it, it's real. And you feel for the children because they don't have a choice. Um, they're stuck in the middle and right. they've been trained to change that movie reel and replay it differently in their head. And it's sad that it's happening to them. So the fact that Jeff continues to to fight for his children if you know financially prepared himself to fight for that would go to uh, the very end uh, to be an influence in his kid's life you know talks to his character his character and his love right and what you've seen um, from your perspective as his lawyer is exactly what I've seen as you know the significant person in his life and and now his wife and I'm very proud of him and the love that he has for those kids um, anybody that's close to uh, knowing both sides of the story can understand where he's coming from and can be, you know, proud of him as well. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, can you give us a little insight about, you know, what did you do to take care of yourself in this process and and sort of how do you keep your sanity <laughs> with all of this craziness going on around you? Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I think um, the thing right up front is um, having a good, strong support group around me to, to begin with, um, my parents, my family, and um, relatives were very strong initially and, and, and still are to this day. So I think that was the, the good foundation of building blocks. I think from there, um, getting involved with counseling and um, trying, because even family members didn't understand it. Right. They they couldn't really. They were mad at my kids, and it wasn't my kids' fault. But the way that they were acting out and lashing out was was difficult for for people around me to see because they loved them and um, they loved me too. And so, yeah, I think from there the counseling recommendations. Um, Take care of yourself, exercise, um, eat right, sleep. Um, I was in some counseling groups with some guys, and you know it was pretty strong recommendation. You know, kind of avoid alcohol or you know be careful with it because you know you can turn this so inside. And you know, just I was used to five nights a week, you know, doing things with my kids, uh, right? Their sports things, their school things, and now all of a sudden I had nothing. 
So it would have been real easy to go internal and just you know, drink it away if I were inclined to do that, um, which would only make more problems with the court, with my kids. Absolutely. And so I think you know, through this whole process, what I tried to do was um, get ready for success and um, be ready for it if and when it was going to happen. So I tried not to look too much internally, tried to focus more on others, uh, volunteered, got involved with my church, um, helped out other people that needed help painting or yard work or whatever, um, volunteered with the uh, youth group at my church and, you know, just little things, donating blood, just trying to think of what you can do for, for other people, um, helped a lot. You know, I think um, from there, just, you know, it was hard enough to keep your job because you're so focused on, you know, what's going on day in and day out, um, court dates, um, you know, popping up and trying to have the flexibility there. Unfortunately, I had uh, a job at the time and now a second job that um, has allowed me um, a lot of flexibility and working from home. And so I've been able to uh, take care of that. But if I had a regular nine to five office job, it would have been extremely difficult to maintain employment during during a lot of this time. Yeah, it's really hard and cumbersome and long and expensive to turn the thought process around. And I think that people that find themselves in this situation need to really prepare for that. And I'll say one of the most many impressive things about you, but one of the ones that I really appreciated was your family always being at every court appearance and always uh, being in court with you and Tracy being there and your family being there and, you know, having an opportunity to have, you know, lunch with you guys during the breaks and see how committed everyone was to the process about, you know, trying to undo this bad judicial decision and show what really should have been shown, which is, and, and part of it is the change over time, mm-hmm. you know, because we do come from that sort of swing of it was domestic violence and then the swing back uh, to is it really and is it parental alienation? And it's hard for um, the judges and hard for the lawyers to sort of know the difference uh, sometimes. And that's sort of what I see your case as. But I tell people all the time, I've never seen anything like it. And I've never seen anybody to stay in the system as long as uh, you have and to really go through it. So what are some personal tips that you might give to somebody who might go through the same thing that you've gone through? You know, I think, you know, try to um, address issues up front. Like I said earlier, I missed, you know, maybe some warning signs that, um, you know, I was trying to avoid divorce. I really had no desire for it. I was trying to um, prevent it from happening. But at some point, um, that probably caused me more damage in this process because I really held on too long and um, I would have been in a much better situation if uh, we had separated earlier and she wouldn't have been able to use a lot of these um, things against me or these claims. Um, you know, with kids being younger, um, they're they're less likely to be able to support um, the story. But as they got older, they had more credibility with, with others around them, at least initially. I think, you know, even getting um, back to the alienation, I mean, the... My ex had told my kids that um, they didn't have my side of the family. They they had they didn't have cousins. You know that they had been very close to up until you know even 
a month or so before this all took place. Um, they'd um, been to their house, been playing with them, you know, having fun times. And then all of a sudden, no, we, we, we don't have any cousins. We only have one set of grandparents. And so it was a true um, just uh, cutting off of yep, trying of, to erase you of me, and erase the family. my whole family, and yeah. anyone associated with me, any of the fun that they'd had. Um, so, you know, if if anyone around you is seeing those clues, I mean, make sure that they're you know giving you recommendation or at least telling you that this is going on so you can be aware. Um, so from there, um, trying to be ready uh, for probably the you know most difficult thing that will ever happen to you in your life um and just you know, it's very emotional very uh, it blindsides you every day you're not ready for and things will come out of the blue so uh, mentally you really have to be focused and you're the best person you can be um again um being committed to go all the way and um, yeah, that commitment is so important because sometimes we see people in the process that will commit for a period of time and then they'll uncommit and then they'll come back and want to commit again and then they uncommit. So I think it's really important to commit and go forward with that process and to uh, find professionals around you that, that are going to help you with the insight of the process. And multiple counselors through this process, uh, Jeff, if you ever give up, it'll be worse than never having started to begin with because then that just feeds into the claim that you didn't really care about him to begin with or, yeah, he walked away or it got too expensive and it really was about the money. And, you know, my kids have been told that, you know, that's all I care about is money and possessions. Well, it's not definitely because I've given up so much in this process, but it's worth it. Yeah. I think one of the things, too, with that is that um, you don't know when these moments are going to come up in the children's memory, Um, and then they visually play it back, and they see their father as the person we're describing right now, and that might be the moment that the light bulb goes off, and they realize that maybe some of the stuff that moms told them is not true. And so throughout his whole process, the professionals have told him that. So instead of just trying to get them to say, it was a good moment, I did have fun, I do love you, you don't necessarily have to focus on that. You focus on the experience. And then later on, when that light bulb comes off, they'll pull back on that. So that's what he lives for. Right. Um, although it might not be where he wants it to be right now, he lives for that that moment when they can say, yeah, we had fun when we were in Montana. Yes, I saw my dad when we were on the boat and he was wakeboarding and his, he's a nice guy and he was teaching other kids. Those moments are what we're hoping they will reflect on in the right. future. Yeah. I think overall through this whole process, I knew that I could either become a very bitter person or prove uh, to my kids that I loved them and be better for it. And um, that's what I've chosen to do. Yeah, well, I really want to thank you guys for coming. And uh, we must say, A, we appreciate you. You've done a great job in your case. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's a, a standard that other people should really follow. So thank you for coming and sharing your story, and uh, we appreciate you. Thank you. We appreciate everything that you've done and the success that we've had. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 